Welcome to the Digital Dudes Podcast. I'm David. I'm Reed. Reed, it's 8.47 in the morning, so I expect you to carry us here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as you've now publicly stated that you, you know, you're good in the mornings, or not in the afternoons, and I'm kind of the reverse. Well, important qualifier there. I said after I've had my cup of coffee and had at least one conversation. And you are my first conversation, and I have only had three sips of my coffee. <laughs> I don't know how this is going to go. And uh-huh. you happen to you happen to pick a Wednesday morning, which is a morning I get to sleep till seven thirty, <clears throat> um, because our girls have late start. So um, it's their one one day of the week where we don't have to rush out to the bus at seven <clears> fifteen. <throat> wow. See, I didn't. I always just thought school was consistent. So when you sent me that Slack, I was like, I didn't really understand what you're meaning. Like, it's not like high school where it's like, oh, I get to skip first period or something. So yeah. I know. I think it's great that they do that. I mean, truly, the every parent I know <clears throat> in our neighborhood loves it. <clears throat> but I didn't have it. I'm sure you didn't either. So uh, I don't know if it's a Colorado thing because we both grew up in Texas. But um, it's a it's a smart idea. What doesn't what well, sucks, I'll just say, is that they decided to give the uh, older kids a later start, literally, like on a regular basis, and they bumped up the elementary. And they're obviously not in the same school, but they just, you know, through research, um, and the superintendent for Littleton School Districts has had to defend this, like, probably way more than he'd like. But he's like, it just, you know, young kids can get up and be with it, you know, before, you know, teens. They're just inherently like you know based well he didn't say inherently he went to the research you know but all the parents are like are you kidding me you know my little kid needs sleep you know they're totally dysfunctional in the morning blah 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 so take with take the good with the bad i guess yeah i'd be curious to see like has the like wardrobe of the of the young kids changed at all now it's like the parents are like sure go ahead wear the rain boots to school i don't give a damn yeah and uh also <laughs> Talk about a job I would never want uh, to be a superintendent of a school district. Man, I would. That yeah. sounds like a nightmare. Well, a nightmare times a thousand for the pandemic. I mean, the, the last year, year and a half, you know, man, uh, definitely would not want that that job. As far as the wardrobe, we, we pretty much gave in on that one fairly early. So, <clears throat> you know, we decided that our kids were very trendy. Um, and that's just a, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> nice way, nice way of putting, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think design challenged. Um, I, I don't know, no, you know, like I said, three sips here of coffee, but some pretty interesting outfits. I'll say that walk out the door. Um, but you know, what are you going to do? Who cares? Right. You know, you don't yeah. have to worry about that stuff. That's the beauty of elementary school. Most people just, aren't judging you yet. <laughs> is is the Adam Sandler movie Big Daddy or whatever where he like inherits the kid for a second and uh, he's just like letting him wear flippers around or whatever? I feel like that. I, that would I be haven't me. seen that one. I, I, oh. I I'm hit or miss with Sandler. I uh, yeah. you know, but I I mean he has some great ones. I don't know if I've seen Big Daddy. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, I think you might get a kick out of that one. But uh, I I actually didn't think you would go for Sandler at all. So the fact that you're hit or miss, uh, I don't know, there's some hope, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the Happy Gilmore and uh, I think Waterboy. I still have a soft or a funny bone for just good uh, physical humor, you know, comedic mm-hmm. humor. And yeah. those are those are pretty classic. Yeah. 
Well, uh, we're here to, to do our intro on a on an interview we, re- we recorded a couple weeks ago, uh, but Jennifer from Pinwheel. So she's the founder of Pinwheel. I think folks listening to this have probably heard of Pinwheel over the last couple of years, uh, but they started as a sort of a smart screen technology for the leasing office, and now they've added on virtual uh, self-guided tours. I guess actually self-guided tours, but do they have virtual tours, readers? or is it just self-guided? I believe they have virtual tours. Um, shame on us. Yeah, no. we talked primarily about the the self guided because that's where they're really pushing the envelope, and they're first to market with with several things in that area. Yeah, and kudos to Jennifer and the the team, you know, for getting a leg up. Um, it's become a very very competitive space in a short amount of time, and understandably so. Uh, but I know she was super excited to share with us, you know, the uh, kind of breakthrough on the hardware side of things, so that you don't have to reinstall or change out all your fobs um, in order to make the technology work. And that's one of the bigger impediments she shared with us, you know, both from a cost standpoint and also just, you know, the disruption that it causes on site. So I think that's awesome that they were able to figure that out. And now they're going to try and get as much mileage as they can out of it, rightfully so. And I will say, I don't use this word very often, um, lovely, (laughs) but I just find Jennifer to be lovely. Um, She's always been so accommodating and welcoming to us. We met her very early on when we entered, uh, well, started Digible. Uh, she's here in Denver, and so we got a chance to have coffee with her and meet her a couple times at some of our first uh, conferences that we went to. And she's just a great person. She um, really uh, has been super helpful for us, making some contacts and giving us feedback and um, just being a fan, you know. So I'm really happy to see that Pinwheel is you know, not just around, but um, seems to be flourishing and in a great position to do some great things in the self-guided tour space. Totally. And one of the things that I thought was uh, most interesting that I don't know if her team gets full credit for from the marketplace, but is how um, systematic uh, they've they've worked on their back-end procedures. So you hit that in the episode, but she's like, oh, no, we could onboard a thousand properties in basically like a month. Like uh, essentially they've worked really hard to hone their internal process and a lot of that comes from the technology that they're pioneering. But a lot of these other self-guided tour companies, they have to do a lot of hardware installation on site, which requires, you know, juggling quite a bit. But Pinwheel doesn't have that. Um, you know, you can do, uh, as she talks about in the episode, um, you can just use your current smart locks. They can make a quick modification to it. Uh, and then from there, like, they've basically got it handled. Uh, so it allows them to just, like, crank out onboarding. Um which I think is probably a real differentiator, particularly as like uh, people in the pandemic and out of the pandemic are trying to roll this out across portfolios. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that was a great call out like about the ability to scale. That that surprised me um, because I believe she said that it takes two weeks like typically to onboard, which I, I don't find to be a, a tremendously long amount of time given what, what, that, what they're doing. But she said to your point that if they needed to, they could do basically a thousand all at once. Um, so it's not meaning it's not an incremental, like stacked, you know, uh, 14 days or two weeks. So pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, anything else you want to hit on the conversation before we let people get into the interview? I guess not. Uh, I, I say that and then I'm going to say something else classic. Um, but, uh, I, think the KPIs, um, how, how they're measuring the effectiveness of, of this is, is really interesting. And 
meaning it goes a little bit beyond the obvious, which is, well, how did our leasing improve or not improve? You know, did our conversion rates um, improve? There's a little bit more depth to that, like when we asked her that question um, and how they set expectations, all the rest. And then predictions, I thought was also fun to hear her talk about, you know, just how fast is this going to pick up? Because it hasn't moved as, as, as we might have expected, but now that's just always a recurring theme, I feel like, when we talk about, you know, emerging technology or prop tech. So everybody's pretty used to that, but it seems like, uh, especially with, frankly, the the new technology they're bringing to market, that we could see this really take off, like legitimately in, in the next couple of years. So it'd be fascinating to see how that all plays out in comparison with uh, what her predictions were on this podcast. Yeah, I think it's also as the consumers get used to it. So I was talking, I forget who I was talking to the other day, but... Um, I had a conversation where I was like, I can't believe in some instances, single families in front of multifamily, where it's like you have people that are like, oh, I'm going to do a self-guided tour on a single family, or I'm going to do my, uh, I think the example I was using was mortgage transaction online, like, you know, just quickly on an app on my phone or whatever. But when it comes to like online leasing, you know, it's, it's not as robust or not as common, right? And so I think once, it's one of those things where it's like when, when the entire industry resists it it's not that much of a differentiator because because uh, consumers aren't looking for it they're not like oh self-guided tour totally but once once it sort of hits the i don't know the 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 mind of of the consumers like at large all of a sudden it's like oh i'm going to do a search just for self-guided tour properties or or like online leasing where i can go all the way through on my phone uh, in a very easy manner and then it's a back to your word of the month as I've been razzing you, but table stakes at that point, right? Like you then, you, it's a requirement. So you're I think that play, you're supposed to play a drop right there. That would have been perfect. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hang on, hang on. We got this new function. Yeah. There, there you go. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Well, last thing on this, I promise. I'm curious about the ripple effect. If it does take off the way we're predicting. You know, we've talked to obviously a lot of different corners of the industry, um, and I still think back to the, the conversation we had with the, the apartment locator. And then, um, you know, obviously the on-site team, like the leasing agent, is is this going to not displace, but how much of a disruption will this be if this really takes off? Because operators are always looking, and they should be, for opportunities to save money. And the locator seems more and more to me, I'm not saying that's fair or right, but as kind of an archaic, like, you know, model given all the new technology and comfort to your point. But if this were to become like ordering a pizza, right? Where it, you know, yes, some people still call, but most people don't. It's like, really, you're still picking up the phone to, to order a pizza? Like just go online. It's such a smooth process. But if it were to get that kind of um, traction, then that, that would have major implications on, um, you know, some, some roles that have been around for a long time. Yeah, I don't see it going away, right? That I think that's the is that that's the main thing, right? Like you, right, I agree. Bef- yeah. Before it was like it is now the time for it to take off, and the pandemic has certainly accelerated that. Now it's like, well, you can't. You almost like can't. I've I, I told you I've been reading the one the most recent uh, uh, book covering Amazon, and they say that Jeff Bezos has a saying. He says, "Is is this a one way door or a two way door?" One way door is like you can't you can't go back through it like it's only one way, uh, so yeah that's what this is like you can't go back once you have it. Yeah. Cool. All right. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I think you guys will find this one interesting. So thanks, Jennifer, for taking the time, and uh, hope you guys enjoy.
Okay, we're here with Jennifer Cyphers, uh, founder of Pinwheel. And Jennifer, I, I feel like I shouldn't try to do this. I'll just let you try to give your own background. But I, we were just talking, and you're saying that you incorporated Pinwheel, you think about eight years ago, almost to the day. We'll say to the month. Uh, but were you, were, you, were you the only one at the time, or did you have any other co-founders? It was just me. It was just me and literally $3,000 that I borrowed from my mom <laughs> to put into a bank account and start Pinwheel. Wow. Well, why don't you give us the your background before Pinwheel and then what caused you to get into Pinwheel and get started and what it is today. So that's a lot, but now I'm super excited to hear about this $3,000. Uh, <laughs> so go for it. Right. Um, well, I started in the multifamily industry in um, 1999, not to date myself, but I was in school um, actually doing pre-med requirements. So I was fulfilling my pre-med requirements because I was going to go back to school to go to medical school. Uh, and I, while I was in school doing pre-med requirements, I got a job with a startup tech company that was servicing the multifamily industry and got promoted a couple times within a few months and then ended up in a position where I was traveling a lot and couldn't uh, support going to school at the same time. And so then my career just took off in this other way that I that I never really expected. So needless to say, I did not end up going to medical school. And still here I am in the multifamily industry um, decades later, which I think a lot of people have a similar story where they're like, I just got this job and now here I am decades later, still in the multifamily industry. Yeah, well, Reed, yeah. Uh, Reed and I often joke that you, like, will we ever be able to escape orbit and get the hell out? Uh, and I think now Reed has settled with like, no, we're, we're, no. We are stuck with gravity. Uh, do yes, I have that wrong? Lean into it. Yeah. No, so, I, don't, I don't think it's a, uh, a bad thing. You know, um, some days, you know, I find myself daydreaming about other categories and doing other things. But for the most part, I'm really happy with it. Before you go too much further, though, I have to know what kind of doctor were you planning to be? Oh, um, pediatric psychiatry. That, that's <laughs> what my dad did. Are you serious? Yeah, he did it for like 30 years. He was the, when he went through med school, he thought he was going to be a radiologist or something. And, you know, it, uh, funny enough, it's his birthday too. He, he passed three years ago. I, I shouted him out this morning on Roundup because a lot of the reason that I think Digible exists, you know, maybe more than David knows, but it comes from my dad. He's, he's, uh, or was, uh, quite a dreamer, um, loved the abstract, if you will, and, uh, was a risk taker. And uh, when he went through med school, he he just really felt a calling when he went through, uh, you know, the psychiatric component and in particular with kids. He's always he always had a passion for kids. And so, um, yeah, he he did that and um, had a 40 year practice, you know, and it was super fulfilling. It was amazing. And um, I don't think I've ever heard anybody else say that because he told me he was like, Reed you know, you think like the specialists like do the best, but not when it comes to pediatric psychiatry, it's like there's right. less than like a thousand in the whole country and they're desperately needed, but they're underpaid. I mean, w you know, he did fine, but um, it yeah. was just, it's one of those, uh, yeah, I guess MDs that a lot of people don't know about. That is wild. So, Jim. so niche. That is so interesting. Well, I, I majored in psychology and foreign languages in college and psych was, um, through psych, I always, I worked with kids. I did internships and stuff. Well, uh, more, not internships, but programs, volunteer programs with kids. And I had no intention of doing anything with psychology. I always intended to go into business, but then my senior year, 
I took a physiological psych class. So the, the biological component of psychology and I loved it. It was fascinating. And so then when I went, I went back and did all my pre-med pre-med requirements. Um, I was just, I loved it. I mm. loved that, that side of it. So that's wild. I'm going to yeah. share that with my sisters to, uh, you know, they've been texting me all day, just, you know, thinking about dad, but that'll blow their mind. Yeah. Well, were you, did you say at the same company then Jen from like 99 through like you said eight years ago or so for <laughs> so like whatever the teens? That would be impressive. That was not my career path. No, I ended up, um, I ended up a few years later at, at apartment guide and I was the director of apartmentguide.com. So that was back when apartment guide had books in the grocery store and the company was set up in two different, um, organizations really within one company. And one was the interactive organization and one was the publication or the book organization. So I ran the interactive part, um, and the website. Can you hold on? Yeah, we'll hold. It sounds Thanks. like you got a puppy that wants I a... do. <laughs> I do have a puppy. One second. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah. Yeah. We need some sort of filler, like, and it can't be Jeopardy. Some other, like, digital dudes, like, you know. It needs uh, to sound like yeah. the, uh, like, Looney Tunes when you're just, like, waiting for right. like, the time to go through. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Sorry about that. We have no pandemic puppies we adopted two puppies because of the pandemic and now that's uh, now they're always in the background on calls yeah no worries so Um, you were at apartment guide where books in the grocery store did your did your time uh overlap with with dennis um from aim didn't he uh or was he not apartment guide i thought he was like my time did not overlap with him if he was there i know i mean i feel like so many people in the industry have spent time at Rent Path that yeah, too, eventually too everyone was there, but yeah. I, I was not there at the same time as Dennis. And I was I was working in Atlanta because that's where or Norcross really, which is where it's um based, but I didn't move from Denver. So I was flying to Atlanta commuting to Atlanta from Denver, which I do not recommend because this wow. time change doesn't do you any favors. Um so I did that and then after I left apartment guide. I started a, a business that was two parts. Half of it was doing consulting with companies like um, Vast, which is a company that has a search engine. It's a white labeled search engine, and it was founded by Deval Robicont and Kevin Laws, who then ended up founding AngelList. And I and I worked with um, Apartment List when they were brand new, and it was just Chris and John and helped them get that started. And I worked with Facebook marketplace that used to be run by Oodle. Now, now it's run by Facebook. So I did a lot of that and spent a lot of time in San Francisco. And then the other half of it was acting as a digital agency for, um, the multifamily industry, which you guys might know a little bit about. (laughs) And, um, and then, uh, I actually, the company that I hired to do, my branding, like my website, my business cards, my logo, that kind of stuff was a company called Creativity for Rent. And I ended up merging Multifamily Edge, which was my company with Creativity for Rent. And we created Ingrain. And so I um, started Ingrain and we mostly were an agency, did websites and that kind of stuff, did a few touch screens. And then when I left, I started Pinwheel 
And one of the first things that we did was to productize the, the touchscreen product. So we made it a SaaS product that had a central um, management system, a central dashboard so that we could onboard a high volume of properties and sold the, the touchscreen product that way. So that was in 2012 that we built that and we took it to market in 2013. And the first business trip, we, um, I worked with Steve, Steve Denis, who was helping with sales and we were selling these really heavy tables. They were touchscreen tables that would go in leasing offices. So the idea was that people would sit at the tables and they could look at the interactive map and they could start their application and do everything at this big interactive touchscreen table. And so it was massive. I can't remember. It was probably like 500 pounds and we rented a U-Haul and we took this table to all of these different offices and multifamily and we would have to go up and like get dollies and move it up into the office. We're just like vagabonding around California within a U-Haul. So that's how we started. Jennifer, I don't know what what kind of business plan you did, but how you thought you could do a touchscreen company with three grand from your mom. Reed <laughs> and I, we were just looking at like smart screens for the office and they're three grand. And Reed was yeah. like, uh, yeah, like uh, these will probably be like $500 two years from now. He didn't go that far. He probably said a thousand dollars less, but uh, I don't know what, what was your, when you, what, what got you the itch to go start another company? And then um, yeah, I mean, $3,000, it's not, that doesn't go very far, what, let alone like, the, the incorporation documents and stuff, let alone the, the tech. Right. Yeah, exactly. So we had to start selling right away. Um, I, uh, my itch was to do something. There were other reasons why it made sense for me to leave my partnership with Ingrain, but my itch to start Pinwheel was that I, I am a product person. That's my background. So um, building a SaaS product and always working on making it better is, is a better fit for me and my experience and what I'm interested in than doing um, one-off projects for clients and then they own it. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I wanted to do with pinwheel. And the other thing is that, you know, my background had been in marketing for so long and I feel like, um, in the multifamily industry, there are a lot of ways, which again, you guys know better than anybody. There are a lot of ways to get people to an apartment when they're looking for a property to help them find apartments, to help them narrow it down. Obviously some products work better than others, but there's a lot out there. There are a lot of options out there. And then once somebody walks into a property, all of that goes away. There was no, there was nothing there. So there were no digital interfaces when somebody goes on site. So there people are interacting with all these great digital tools and websites to find the property. And then they go on site and then it's a leasing agent with a notebook and printouts and highlighters. And it was like this total brick and mortar experience. And so we just saw a lot of opportunity in the leasing office to help modernize the experience and also just to help make it a friendlier uh, experience for prospective residents, especially in those generations that are more comfortable with digital interfaces and prefer to have really accurate information at their fingertips. And yeah. so, so that was kind of the, the idea behind moving into the leasing offices. Well, it sounds like you were on this like entrepreneurial journey for quite some time uh, before Pinwheel, but how long, and look, there's ups and downs all the time. So <laughs> ask Reed or I, and on any given week, we may give a different answer to this, but how long before you, before at Pinwheel, you felt like, Hey, this, you know, uh, you know, we're no longer 
fallen off the cliff, but we're in a good place and, you know, we got a good thing going. Well, in 20, uh, let's say 2014, 2015, we were raising money. That was my whole plan was to raise money. Mm -hmm. And I talked to a lot of companies that were interested in either um, investing in Pinwheel or merging with Pinwheel or acquiring Pinwheel. And it was very time consuming, as you can imagine. I met with a, a lot of really great, smart people. And we ended up getting to a point with a company where they offered us terms. And in the meantime, I kind of had this backup plan of what if we don't raise money, how are we going to survive? I also around the same time went to an MTech conference and there was a panel of entrepreneurs who shall go unnamed. And one of the questions given to these entrepreneurs was, would you, what would you do differently? And I think two out of three of them and two people who I really respected said, I wouldn't raise money. There's a, uh, a lot of ways that you can make money in this industry. And as soon as you take money from uh, VC firms or hedge funds, you, it changes the nature of your business and it changes the nature of your position. So that plus the fact that we had a really decent backup plan really changed the whole direction that we were going. We didn't take the funds from the company and we decided to continue to bootstrap um, reorganized the company and repositioned it. And that was in, in 2016. And so that was really the year that it, that things flipped for us. And we started, um, we, we got really comfortable that year because before then we were just like trying to grow and grow and grow as fast as we could to chasing those VC mm -hmm. dollars. But then as soon as we decided not to, everything kind of came into place and, um, everything was much more, was much easier well uh funny enough it we met you at optech or mtech four oh yeah years ago or three years ago and we didn't take money from you because we knew you were a shark we were like this is gonna end <laughs> badly now uh that's actually but that is how we met jennifer like uh, yeah. she raised her hand in the back of the room after we presented it was like are you guys seeking investors and at the time reed and i were like we hadn't settled on if we were going to take money or not take money um yeah. so we were excited for uh I guess your kudos and interest in, in front of the crowd. Uh, but yeah, we, we've mostly avoided that ourselves. And I, I think we're very, I don't blame you. Obviously if I'm offering, I do think you should really consider my investment, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I love, I love your product. It's something that I uh, had thought about forever of, as something that the industry really needs. And so you guys know, I'm just a huge, huge fan. So yeah. Well, thanks. Well, Reed, I have I I keep wanting to dive into the entrepreneurial story, but uh, feel like I'll give you a chance to ask a few questions before we get into what what Pinwheel's up to now. Yeah. Well, I was actually going to go there because I didn't want to wait too long to give Jennifer a chance to to talk about kind of the big news. We we joke and we don't. We love to break news here on this podcast, but usually that means like a day, if not a week, behind. And in your case, I think we might be two weeks behind, but. Um, so I don't know now that I've said that, whether I can't pull that back and ask more questions or whether we should just like, you know, let her talk a little bit about uh, what's new um, at Pinwheel, because I guess I can tie this to the whole like journey, right? Like what you thought the company was going to be pre and post like decision on, on the venture to now, you know, as you said, you're a product person and, and how that's evolved. Because for us, I mean, Fiona came pretty quickly and, it, you know, we had it almost on the back burner when we started the company, but man, has it changed, you know, um, mm -hmm. but there still is that core functionality. So 
maybe again, this is a good segue. You can talk a little bit about the past and, and now where you're at and what you see ahead as far as how the product map uh, roadmap has changed for you uh, from the time you founded to, to where you are now. Yeah, it's funny. It's kind of like what you were saying with being in in multifamily and there oh, you always think about other verticals that you could go into, but it's so good in multifamily that you're like, this is such a great industry. And there are so many other companies that start in other verticals and then find multifamily. And they're like, oh no, this is the best industry to be in. Um, it was kind of the same way with products with me when I was talking about finding the, the leasing office, because originally when I started Pinwheel, um, even before I started Pinwheel, there were a couple other other times I tried to start up a company that did uh, a product. The, the idea of the product was very similar to Fiona, um, where we wanted a I wanted to build a central system where people could track and manage their their marketing and um, purchase marketing and and also that would manage all their their other little digital marketing tools like websites and and touch screens and mobile applications and all those things. Because I think in this industry, there, like I said, there are so many different marketing options and it is very challenging to one, know about all of them and two, really accurately compare all of them from one market to another, or from one asset to, an, to another. So that was actually kind of the original plan. But because we needed to make money immediately, we started with developing websites, which we don't do anymore, but we did that when we started. Um, and then developing the touchscreen application. And then the idea was to create all of these, all the different digital interfaces and just have them managed from the same dashboard. So we did end up creating this awesome dash dashboard, which was my um, dream to manage everything really, really simply from the same, the same place, which we, which we have done. But in the meantime, like I said, we we found so much success in the leasing office and found that there was such a vacuum there that then we just kind of placed all of our focus inside the leasing office. And then a couple years ago, well, a few years ago now in 2016, 2017, um, I started thinking about research that we had done with consumers and what they would really want and came to the conclusion that what they would really want is to not have to... <laughs> to um, necessarily interface with the leasing staff and schedule their tours during leasing hours. And so I just started sketching like literally pencil and paper, Sharpie and paper, uh, this idea for a self-guided tour application and uh, brought it to prospective residents who loved it, brought the idea to our clients who hated it. Nobody was, nobody <laughs> was interested in self-guided tours at all at the time. Hmm. Um, we ended up, developing it anyway, because I just, you know, the, the economy has been so good for so long, which is great for touchscreens because they're put into new developments all the time. But I thought eventually the economy isn't going to be as strong. And so we need to come up with a product that also helps multifamily companies during a down economy. And so one of those things might be this self-guided tour idea that I had. Um, so we did like a soft launch of it in 2019. And everybody was so interested in it and everybody was talking about it. And there were tons of, uh, you know, it was always a topic at the conferences, but very few companies were ready to try it. So we did a, we set up a pilot with a handful of properties. It was about 15 properties that had signed up to try it. And my goal was to do a really long, like a six month pilot, 
get tons of feedback from their staff, get tons of feedback from the residents, and then take it to the industry and say, you know, this really works, fix things along the way, and then say, we've perfected this, and this really works. And, um, and then, uh, you know, a couple months into our pilot, COVID hit, and then suddenly everybody needed a self-credit tour application. So really changed things, changed things at Pinwheel. Um, and then at that time, the, our biggest challenge was that every single property has fob readers all over the place. So they have fob readers to get in the front door. They have fob readers to get into all of their common areas. And every property has different fob reader systems, meaning like it's different, not even from one company to the next, but from one property to the next in the same portfolio. And so that was our, that was the big nut that we wanted to crack and, and, so we just recently came up with a solution for it, and I'm super excited about it, that we now are able to retrofit any existing fob reader. So properties don't have to swap out their fob readers, which is a very time intensive and very expensive uh, thing to do to go in and swap out all of your fob readers. Plus, it affects all of your residents. It affects your staff. It's just a, a huge inconvenience and very expensive. So because of um, this new product that we're offering now properties don't need to do that at all. We can use our existing fob readers when temporary visitors come, they use their phone as a fob at the fob readers. It's very secure because we're only giving them temporary access just for the length of their self-guided tour. Um, and we do some screening as well before they can take the tour to make sure that, you know, we verify their identity and, do some things to make sure that they, that they should be on site. And, um, and we're just so excited about the solution. Yeah. Well, it sounds super cool. And obviously with COVID everything has like taken off on it regarding virtual or self-guided tours. I mean, either or, right. And right. sounds like you started back, you had the idea four or five years ago and started working on it now. Um, quick question and we'll get into some of the details because I think your new um, offering is super cool with the phone access. But do you, um, was it any help that you guys were already pinwheel when you go to launch this? Because Reed and I struggle with this conversation ourselves. Is like, oh, we have this new product idea. Can we really do it as the same company or do we need to be a new company? So was there was there enough connectivity between pinwheel and, and self-guided that it, it actually was good that you already had pinwheel and all the infrastructure and stuff you'd already done? Or I don't know, would you have been better off if you had just, I guess, launched a new, a fresh, a fresh start? That is a really good question. We, we considered both ways from a brand perspective. I think it would have been okay either way, introducing this new product, but from a um, technology perspective, it was essential that we were building it off of our original technology. So we had, we had in 2016 rebuilt our backend system um, and our dashboard and rebuilt all everything in our database. And that's what we built self tour on. And so that was essential because that technology is, you know, has, is tried and true, has been tested, um, is a very mature technology. And so when we, in, in 2020, when we were, um, when self-guided tours became very popular overnight, we were able to offer a product to clients that was, 
a very a, a product that we really believed in and that we knew was a good solid product whereas other companies were kind of like flipping the switch and and trying to provide self-guided tours and throwing something together really quickly the fact that our backend system had a few years in it of, of us perfecting it was was critical and so um building it on top of the pinwheel system um was was really important and definitely the right thing to do and really couldn't have been replicated or extracted yeah and uh you guys are so popular everyone's probably been hearing the dinging but that's every time you get an order is that we hear your phone go off right <laughs> so you've had five or six orders go off now yes exactly i'm so glad you picked up on that <laughs> i thought it was me at first i'm usually guilty of that like the first six podcasts we did david was like can you please mute your your text alert <laughs> that is so funny but i've gotten better since then yeah um, uh, Oh, well, ahead, yeah, read out while she handles that. I'll let you ask the next question. Well, you know, on, on the product research, I was curious about that. And that is tough. Uh, sounded like frustrating at, at times. And that's where we're at. Like when you, you have quick product development, which is common, like obviously in the early stages in particular, like figuring out, you know, what to listen to and what not to, like what's noise, what matters etc. So I don't know, David's actually reading a book right now, or maybe finished up. Uh, I think it's the mom, mom, I forget the mom the, test, the mom test. Yeah. Um, so you can share some of that. Uh, I'm sure Jen would be interested to hear it. Um, also being a mom, but have you refined that, uh, that approach, I guess, uh, how do you get feedback now? Um, are you, I don't want to say past that stage, because you're never past that stage. But you know, how, how did you approach that process? Um, has it changed much since, uh, or when you guys first started? Product feedback. Yes. Yeah. So um, the way we prioritize updates with uh, with all of our products, but particularly with Self Tour right now, since that's our our new product that we're um, that we're focusing on from a development standpoint is one, what will make the experience best for consumers, which sometimes creates a conflict because sometimes properties want it to act a certain way that will help them, but it's not the best experience for consumers. And so when there's a conflict there, the consumers always win. And if there's something that we're working on that will make the experience better for consumers and something that we're working on that will make things better for properties, again, the consumer always wins. So one is what makes it the best experience for the consumer because that's what we're trying to do is to help people tour and lease apartments. Um, and then second will be uh, things that our, that our clients want and our clients need. And then third will be things that make it easier to, to update and to um, be more efficient. Because one of the things that we're really good at and we want to make sure that we continue to be good at is we are really good at being efficient with our with our time so that we can really gracefully handle a big volume of clients and a big volume of, of products without having a million people. <laughs> Sorry, I Reed, I did, off my notifications and they're still popping up. <laughs> uh, Reed, did, uh, have you seen the new WeWork documentary on uh, Hulu? No, I, I'm assuming this has something to do with notifications or text alerts because yeah. my, my head was going to Seinfeld. Oh, the, okay. The episode with the like Russian diplomat and like Elaine's Blackberry won't stop going off and he can't <laughs> find it. And he's like losing his mind. <laughs> then when he finally does, he tosses it out the limo. Yeah. Anyways, well, no. you, yeah, what, what's your uh, reference here? 
Well, in, in the new WeWork documentary, which uh, for those that follow tech are probably pretty up to date on it, but the story is even more egregious than what I had heard from the rest of the news. Um, but it's just a it's a crap show. Anyways, but Adam Newman, one of the two founders, he had a fascination with gongs because, and you'll love this read, but he grew up overseas. <clears throat> I think in, I can't remember where, Israel, I think. But he, uh, he, the only American television he could get was basically reruns of uh, Animal House and The Gong Show. And so he, he had this fascination with gongs. And so in all these WeWorks, he had gongs installed. And then they, you know, for any excuse that he could think of, like, oh, new new tenant at, at WeWork, let's, we got to set off the gong. And so, yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> that's, that's my ding. I think I turned it off now. Okay. I, think nice. I, I, I actually turn off the notifications instead of just closing my messages. So yeah, no problem. Yeah. Well, um, the, I think what's, what makes your uh, solution really unique, as you said, is that it is so consumer focused. Cause I think a lot of those, a lot of the other self-guided tours I've seen are like you said, either kind of patchwork together. It's like, we just need to find the dirty down and dirty solution to get this live. Mm -hmm. Or it really, a lot of people just keep looking at like, what would the property manager or leasing agent like more than what the consumer would like. And uh, to your point, like some of your videos do a, a good job of showing off how, how simple it is for the user, but while still making sure that some of the stuff's handled from the, um, from the management side, like you're saying the screening, right? So why don't mm -hmm. you take us through the process of like, let's say that someone offers a pinwheel tour the, the sign up, the background check, how fast can this whole thing go down before like a consumer can just start walking through the building and, and being guided along on what matters to them? Yeah. So um, we do, we really focus on trying to make things simple also for our clients, specifically for property managers, because we know that property managers are very busy and have a million things on their plate. So any, anything that we can do to make it simpler for them, we will employ that. Um, to get started, so obviously we need we need a contract in place first. We need payment, and then we do a launch call with the whole team. So that's really important. Everybody on the team needs to understand what they're signing up for and what they can expect. And then once we do the launch call, then the property manager or whoever is responsible for getting the project up and running will um, have access to submit some content to us. So we need like the property map, floor plan images photos, that kind of thing. And then they will also have a project form to fill out. The project form allows them to identify the first version of what they want the tour to look like. So they'll tell us what stops they want on their tour and give, give us some description and information about those stops. And then once my team has received all of that, then it goes into production. Production takes two to four weeks. Actually, it's really more like on the two-week side for us to get the first version of the self-guided tour up and running. In the meantime, we have um, worked with the maintenance team on site to help us identify what access they need. So we'll figure out what FOB readers that we need to provide access to, and then what units, what kind of digital locks they have on their units, and if they need to swap any of those out. We'll have all the hardware shipped to them and installed while we're setting up the self-guided tour. And so within two to four weeks, they should be totally up and running. Then we'll have another call with the on-site staff where they will actually go through the tour as if they're a prospect and just make sure that everything makes sense. One of the most important parts of our product is the interactive map, which has step-by-step -step directions and wayfinding inside. 
Um, and none, none of the other products have this, and I can tell you why, because it's very complicated to set it up. But obviously that's crucial, right? Because we're looking, our production people are looking at a map and they can look at the path and go, yep, that makes sense. But you really have to be on site and walk that path uh, and um, verify that it's getting you where you want to go and that you don't get confused along the way. Yeah. I, oh, go ahead, Reed. Well, two, two to, did you say two to four weeks Yeah. To, for production? So how does that scale then? It, you must have templates or something. Like if you're going to one portfolio, let's just say, I mean, the backlog would be insane, right? If, if that's what it requires for each property. So do you come with templates in hand where it's like for similar units, like comps, like this is, this will accelerate the, the production time or does it not matter? No matter what you have to, each building is, is a two to four week turnaround. You, you follow me, right? Like what if somebody said, this is awesome. I want to put it on, you know, I have 30, 30 buildings. Or whatever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, we have the um, we have the bandwidth both in staff and both in our automated system to be able to crank them out regardless of the volume. And that's really what um, what I was saying that we had perfected in our back end system, which means that we were able to bring this to market and be able to handle whatever volume comes our way. But there is there is always going to be a manual part of the setup process because because uh, every property is different. And so we, we have to address that manually. And then as much as we can, we automate in, in the backend system so that it just makes it quicker and more efficient for our team. And then they go back and check everything and make sure everything's correct. Cool. Sorry if I missed that. I, so that's pretty amazing. You can do that all in parallel. So a hundred come on at a time, theoretically within four weeks, all hundred could be done. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. That is impressive. It, it, but it's part of that because, as you're saying, the interactive map, I think, is what really got me with your guys. Like, I, I do like the idea of no one needing a fob and not the, the hardware replacement cost of the current, like, lock systems and stuff, which you guys have solved. But when you look at, when you see, like, your your the videos that you guys have built on this, and it's like, there is a map and it shows you the dot where it's going and stuff. That, as you're saying, is really complicated. But... Um, and, and hard to do. I feel like the other providers have to have all of these other beacons and stuff so they know where the human is located so that they know yeah. like when to do what. Because you guys have taken the time to solve the hard problem, the wayfinding part, because you, you that also helps you not have to install additional hardware, right? Because you, you really yeah. don't have additional wayfinding stuff, right? Yeah, we really wanted to be able to offer a solution that we could get up and running in a very short period of time. And which means not installing additional hardware and stuff. And also number two, that's flexible. That's really important. Again, that's, that's different for consumers than it is for properties as a property. I probably want every single person to come through and see the stops that I want them to see in the order I want them to see, but the consumer wants more flexibility. And so we needed to be able to offer that to the consumer. And then also the property also enjoys the flexibility of being able to change things as needed. So if the pool's closed, mm -hmm. it's no big deal. It's super easy to change it. If your descriptions you feel like aren't um, hitting the notes you want them to hit, super easy to change them on the fly and they're immediate. Yeah, that's really interesting. So one, it sounds like your hard cost compared to some of the other solutions is would be less. Plus, mm -hmm. like you have the flexibility later to keep modifying things. Yes, exactly. Um, 
yeah, that's great. I do have one last thing. I feel like with your with the touch screen that you have, the pinwheel uh, touch yeah. screen, the, the original product, I feel like once that, you know, beast is, is installed, they're never removing it. It's like that is staying there <laughs> for yeah. for all time. <laughs> with this, because you don't have all the extra hardware stuff, I wonder if this will be, if this won't have, won't be a sticky in that way. Right. Where it's like, oh, we don't even see the people. We don't touch the people. Um, mm -hmm. And there's no like uh, we didn't have to do some major modification on the building. So I wonder if that, you know, long term at post COVID, you know, if properties just will be less sticky on it. That just one. Concern. So it's so interesting that you bring that up, because one of the things that we have learned in the past year is that the, the prospective residents love it. So if you implement it the way it's supposed to be implemented, which is you put the pinwheel interactive map on your website and the pin, pinwheel scheduling tool on your website so that when somebody's ready to take a tour, they click on schedule a visit and it goes through pinwheel. So they're selecting their, their time and date and then they get notifications telling them to download the application, what to expect, um, directions to the property, the prospective residents use it, love it, and, um, and then properties see an increase in tours, they see an increase in tour to lease ratios and it's just a very valuable tour for the prospects and so because it's such a valuable tour for the prospects then it makes it harder for properties to get rid of because they're seeing all the benefits of it if it's not implemented that way uh, we do have a lot of clients that use their own they want to use their own scheduling tool and then they're not sending the text notifications they're not communicating with their prospects the same way um, and maybe the prospects are showing up and they don't have the application downloaded and they don't know what to expect, then it's not as good of an experience. And, um, and then it won't be as, as sticky because it's, it's, like I said, all about the prospective residents having the best experience. And if they have the best experience, then the properties will want to keep it. But if they don't have the best experience, then that's when I think that we'll see some, some properties who are, you know, maybe are not are not keeping it on site. We also have a really easy contract with this where it's just a 30 day out and it's month to month. So it's really easy to try it out and it's really easy to stop using it if you wow. if you don't want to use it anymore. That's strong. I wouldn't have expected that from like the setup time and all that stuff. It's a, it I mean that just makes it like a no friction type of sale. Right. I have two questions, and we asked these, I think, uh, last week with, with Everett. Do you remember, or do you know Everett Lynn? He's CEO, uh, founder of Minify. Yeah, yeah, I have met him. Because he, he was part of that class, I'll say now. I mean, you you came before us, but we were all at MTech. That's where we met, yeah. and we just had him on uh, last week. And one of the questions I asked him that I'll now pose to you is, what do you lead with as you're talking to, and I imagine it's usually C-suite for you, but correct me if I'm wrong on that, on who you're, who you're trying to, you know, grow business with or who you're talking to. So it's, there's several benefits that you've already listed. Um, what do you feel most confident about where it's like, Hey, you know, in adopting this, this technology, this platform and, and, and pinwheel ultimately as a partner, you should see your conversions, improve like you know your lead to lease um, your resident feedback your whatever blah 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 i mean just fill it in so i'm curious like what you lead with and then i'll i'll hold so i don't forget and you don't forget the second part <laughs> of the second question so i'll let you answer that one first yeah i think you hit the nail on the head we're uh, we're very good at increasing 
the tortilese ratio. I think that's that's really important. And also increasing tours. And then the, the other thing is just modernizing the tour experience. So it certainly helps to decrease costs and it certainly helps to increase revenue when you're implementing these solutions. Yeah, cool. The other question, and this is something I'm really interested to hear you talk about since you've been in the industry longer, certainly than me and David, but um, and I feel like Everett, you know, said he's been in industry for at least a decade, but is what do you think is at the root of why technology isn't moving faster with multifamily? And a lot of people have said in the last year, because of COVID, it's, it's accelerated some things and maybe self-guided tours is one of those. But, um, you know, I have my own theories, but I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and, and ask you, what, what do you think is at the root of that? And, and how much has it changed since COVID? Do you, do you, are you seeing you know, a little bit more uh, early adopters than, than before. And maybe that's too, too, it's too early to say, but anyways. Oh, no, it's not too early to say. We for sure saw a huge increase in, in a, I, I think that COVID actually pushed us past the early adopter phase hmm. um, with a lot of these companies where we just went through it really quick. So now it's, it's more um, table stakes. But the, um, to answer your question, it's so interesting because I've been in the industry for so long and I've seen so much change and it's such a it's such a more high tech industry than it was when I started in the industry that I don't see um, I, I certainly don't have as much frustration as I know some other people do with the industry of like, oh, my gosh, why are we lagging so far behind in technology? Because we've improved leaps and bounds since I started in the industry. Um, but to answer your question, I will answer your question just purely based on feedback that I've heard from our clients and the feedback that everybody gives me consistently is that um, the buck stops at the on-site staff. And the reason it stops at the on-site staff is because they feel inundated with change. So they ha have been given directives of what they're supposed to do and what they're supposed to accomplish. And then there are so many um, new, new ideas and changes and things that they can implement and they just get backlogged with trying to implement new technology on site. And they feel um, underwater with trying to implement so much new technology. So I think that's a big part of it. I think that I also talk to a lot of on-site staff who are self-described technophobes who don't really like implementing new technology. But in most cases, they're really not that bad. Like once you introduce them to technology, they're actually fine and they're, they do a great job with technology. But I think that there is a little bit of, of hesitance to, to implement to te new technology because people don't feel confident in using it. Um, whereas typically when they're introduced to it, if it's simple enough, which it should be, then, then it's fine. What yeah. are your thoughts on that? Well, I'll let David give you some of uh, his, obviously, I, I think you're dead on. I mean, Everett brought that up too. I want to say just how important the on-site team is and that it's often overlooked because they are not the decision makers. So you end up spending time with, you know, various members of C-suite, marketing teams, et cetera, and they're, they're not there on-site to really, you know, tell you how, how that's going to go. And so it's often overlooked. I think there is also, you know, we all have witnessed it now, you know, but this huge rush, you know, of technology that's hit over the last several years. And so inevitably, you know, that is going to cause, you know, some, uh, well, challenges just where you can't test everything. And so yeah. I think at that MTech, we, we heard about that, like the importance of integration, knowing, you know, who and how to, how to kind of navigate that is just critical. 
but at the end of the day, you know, they, they have to pick some spots because Everett, you know, I think was talking not to keep bringing him up, but he was just like, you know, we came at it with a dollar per unit and just figured that was a no brainer for what we were bringing to the table. But it's like, yeah, there's 20 more behind you in line that are all coming with the same, same offering, you know, same kind of price structure and they can't do all of that. My worry is, is that with so much of that and them having to like be really selective is inevitably a lot of these entrepreneurs and new technology won't be able to last, you know, because they're not going to have the runway. So if if they don't pick up the pace, if the industry doesn't, doesn't that automatically then mean that there's going to be less new technology because there you just don't have, you know, the industry doesn't have the patience for it. It's this right. kind of uh, crazy, right. crazy cycle that, that we're in right now. Yeah. Um, so that that being said, I was glad to know that, you know, Aminify and some others that we had heard about earlier are still, still around. But We're still around. Yeah, um, we'll see how that goes. Pricing, too, because when I started, I was like, well, we're just going to price it price per tour. Because if I owned a, uh, an apartment building, that's what I would want to pay. I would want to pay per tour or per success, per lease. That's, that's obviously the best thing for the owners. But the more management companies we talk to, managers are like, no, we don't want a price for success model because it's too difficult to budget. I need something to put in my, I need a line item for my budget. And so we revamped our pricing structure for managers, but there is a little bit of a conflict there. I think probably between what the managers want because it makes their lives easier and what the owners want because it makes them more profitable. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes. I do also think that, um, I have heard from our clients too that there are managers that are feeling concerned that a lot of their responsibilities are going away or being replaced by technology. Mm -hmm. And so I think that probably creates some natural resistance as well. Well, proof points are hard to come by, you know, uh, I think for a lot of these platforms, like in an early enough time, again, even if you get the opportunity, get the shot, you know, it's like, can in six months you show tangible results that the operator then can sign off and start to spread across their portfolio. And that's that's also not easy. So more and more are coming, you know, I think to the table with like freemium models, you know, ways where it's like, you don't have to pay, I'll pay you. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, it will prove itself that way. But a lot of the, the platforms are based around the idea of efficiency and labor. And that's one of the hardest things to actually touch. It's like, right. theoretically, I freed up more team, time for my on-site team because they are overwhelmed. But how do you really prove that out? Uh, so that, that's a big challenge as well. David, what are your, anything to add there? Um, well, I think you guys are right. Everett was saying his, his estimate is that they spend 2% on R&D. And so like, um, and to your point, Reed, like there's just, we sometimes don't give the startups enough time. If you're not going to do the R&D, then, then someone else has to do the R&D and then sell it to you. But that person mm -hmm. that does the R&D either needs a very liquid market to where they can raise capital, like Jennifer was saying was challenging for her five, six years ago, or they, um, they need enough customers that are going to stick with them and kind of deal with the not fully baked product. But the talk about a non-early adopter, this industry is is not an early adopter. And Reed and I were talking mm -hmm. about this after the Everett episode, but the it's a lot of it's because they don't have to be, right? Because the status quo is so low and yet yeah. profits are so high that in, in return on investment that they don't have to try harder. But the more I think there's gonna eventually gonna be an acceleration when enough properties have gotten on board uh, with self-guided tours, for example, like you're saying. Jennifer, then at some point, everybody's got to get on board because they're going to be the one person that doesn't have it. And therefore, 
you the know, only thing that properties care about is being competitive in their market. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So if they don't need new technology to be competitive, they're not going to spend the time and the money on it. But more importantly, I think to the to the managers, the time on it. Well, maybe now's a good time to insert this question as we talk about competition. You know, smart technology, I mean, it's still evolving, but that, that's been a wave, right? And so I wonder, is that, can you group, have you tried to kind of self-guided tour with smart technology? Uh, I know, obviously, mm -hmm. Digital and Pinwheel are talking about, you know, how we can partner together, but you're seeing more and more uh, with entrepreneurs. It's like, if I can't get the runway, I don't have the liquid. It's like, I've got to find partners that I can line up with that can perhaps you know, uh, shortcut that time uh, to for yeah. adoption. And uh, it would seem I mean, logical to me yeah. where it's like, hey, if, if you're investing in this kind of smart technology, it only makes sense that you'd also, you know, enable self-guided tours. Yes. Um, and, and to answer a question that you that David asked earlier, that's how I started with $3,000 and getting tables is through partnerships. That's always been, that's always been what we've done is we really focus on what we do well. And then we find partners um, that can help with, with all of the other things that make the product complete. So we do have our own um, access solution, which I think is going to be, is, is going to be amazing for the industry. I really think it's going to make a huge difference to people to not have to swap out like smart apartment technology, but we do have some great partners in that vein as well. So we have partnered with Dwello and Dwello goes in and they will create whole smart apartment systems. Like it's a really great white glove experience for their, for the properties that they work with, that they will go in and um, retrofit existing apartments, or of course for new developments, they'll work with them as well to just make a whole system that is a huge benefit for the residents and staff and also helps the property management companies and the property owners to run their properties more efficiently. So they have now included Pinwheel Self Tour as a part of their product offering so they can bundle it all together. We have an integration with Latch. So we have a lot of properties that use Latch and now they can use Latch along with uh, Pinwheel Self Guided Tour. And, and then we have integrations with all of the off the shelf kind of, um, locks like Schlag and Quickset and Yale. We And then of course we have all of our existing partnerships that we've had forever with, with Yardian and Trada and RealPage and, and all of those systems. So everything baked together, we're just trying to offer a solution for any property, regardless of what technology they're using. Cool. Well, what is what do you think, not to skip too far ahead, Jennifer, but we always like to ask past, present. We've done that yeah. now, future, right? So where where does the industry go from here? Like, it sounds like you're going to think self-guided tours become a must-have for, mm -hmm. for all properties. I'm curious if that's the entire stack, like even, a, you know, down to affordable, BCD mm -hmm. or not. Um, but, you know, what does the next, let's say, 10 years look like? Is there any new development or do you think it's going to be like catching up to, you know, the self-guided tour thing? Um, I think that, it, I mean, back to what you were saying about how the industry tends to be slow to adopt new technology. This is this is what we've seen with self-tour, and this is what I think we're going to continue to see, which is that the prospective residents want it and even expect it now, and most properties do not offer it, or they offer some kind of lightweight solution just to kind of check the box, but it's not really a great consumer experience. So I think that is going to be huge, and then I think 
as a part of that um, access is, is just so much more important. So when you think about providing temporary access for self-guided tours, a lot of companies that we talk to are like, we need to start offering self-guided tours right now. And then because of that, they start thinking about, okay, well, that means that we need to have digital access. And what is our digital access strategy going to be? But then once you get there, then you think about all of the other temporary visitors that you have that could that could need digital access. So you have delivery people, you have um, uh, first responders who who could need temporary access to get into somebody's property. You have, you know, people who are delivering groceries or people who are delivering um, Uber Eats or Delivery Dash or whatever that also would need temporary access to a property that the property might want to give them might want to give them access and also want to give them directions. And so I think that's kind of the big opportunity that is being opened right now in the in the industry. And then I think once that opportunity is opened, then you can start thinking about, well, if all of these different people have temporary access to the properties, then do we move to having kind of floating staff where you have um, your same maintenance crew, but they're managing maintenance at a portfolio instead of living basically like either literally or figuratively living at a property um, and just servicing the one property. Wow, I dig it. That's a fantastic answer. Reed, I feel like, well, I figured her, that answer may have just wound you up and let you go because of uh, some of the conversations you've had about um, well, about how the, how the marketplace will change over the next uh, 30 years. Yeah, that is a great answer. It's super exciting. and. You know, it makes me think of our friend, uh, and I think it was from AIM, the first AIM we went to, Stephen something. He has a portfolio up in Minneapolis, and uh, or I think it was in Minnesota. But he was talking about a, and it sounds not dystopian, but, uh, you know, humanless or without, you know, mm -hmm. like humanless like on, on our team, like portfolio. It wasn't just a team. But I think, you know, when we talked to him more, he, he was like, well, of course, there will still be, you know, maintenance people, you know, that have to service the par uh, property and, you know, you'll have to figure away with packages and stuff. But it was somewhat what, what Jennifer's saying, which is like, you could have them floating, basically rovers. By the way, my pen just mm -hmm. exploded in my, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, so I think that's, that's, yeah, that's really fun to think about. I, I'm super intrigued to, to hear people talk, as David just said, about the next 20 or 30 years and, and how, you know, all this new technology will will have us operating and thinking, you know, in a very different way. But then you know that the, the human element will always, I think, be there. And now I sound almost not contradictory, but we talked to a locator. No. Yeah, oh. I totally agree with you. Yeah, well, then I'll let you piggyback here. But I was giving him not a hard time, but I was just like, you know, aren't you worried about, you know, with everything that's going on being kind of displaced, like your whole like world and industry. And he was like, absolutely not, you know, and I don't know, I forget what he likened it to, you know, like a shoe salesman or something. He's like, lots of people are buying more shoes now online than they ever were before, but you still see shoe salesmen. Maybe that's a terrible comparison, but um, you get my point. It's like, you know, people still want to talk to somebody. So, um, it's just a matter of like, what does that workforce look like? Are we going to see an 80% reduction, a 50% reduction? You know, will it plateau at a certain level? Um, and, and a consultant that I think you're familiar with, Elaine Williams, you know, she's mm -hmm. worked with us on and off for years. And she was saying that she thinks some of that workforce reduction, like at a, a pretty, you know, significant level is going to start to happen. And, and COVID may have pushed that forward. 
I don't know if that, you know, they'll surface in other ways, you know, uh, meaning that they'll, they'll just be new jobs that open up in multifamily or if those are going to go away permanently. But she, she's been hearing like with some of the bigger, you know, the NMHC top 20, that uh, those are some things they're definitely considering. Um, so yeah, really fascinating stuff. Yeah, I, I will tell you how we hire. And so I always um, imagine, I imagine that the industry will kind of shift this way too, or how we um, solve our resource problems is that we solve as many problems as we possibly can with technology at Pinwheel. So anything, we're always looking for ways that we can automate our processes. And if the technology can handle it, then we put it on the technology that makes sure that we're decreasing human error and that we're increasing efficiency. So we do that as much as possible. And then we hire people to do things that humans have to do. So instead of hiring people that can, that will do what technology can do, we're hiring people who are, um, are personable. So they're working with people and they're, they're, they have the people skills to help manage people and, and keep our customers really happy and make sure that we're communicating well and that kind of thing that that technology really can't replace that personal interaction. And we're hiring people who can do, like I said, some of the, uh, the, the more unique aspects of setting things up on a property by property basis. And so I, I imagine that in the future, properties will hire and manage things the same way that they will not be hiring people who are doing things that technology can do, but they will be hiring people to do things that people have to do, like interact with residents and help residents feel like the, the management company and the property cares about their problems, which will never, will never go away. People still want to feel like there's a person there that cares about whatever their issue is. Yeah, I feel like um, there's always like when Amazon came on, uh, on people were like, well, no, no one's going to go to the local store anymore. And certainly this last year has been really rough on local uh, commerce, but there are so good for Amazon. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But there are still people that want that, like, you know, like you said, white glove service earlier, like there's still people that Mm want to talk to a human and interact. And I feel like in, uh, you know, I'll even say like the millennials and in, in my generation, a lot of, a lot of times we didn't want to talk to anybody. It's like, I'll just order mm-hmm. on Amazon. So I don't have to talk to somebody. Yeah. And yeah. then at some point it's like, well, no, actually I don't want it to feel cold. Like I'm just checking into a hotel. I'm tired of hotels. Right. I want it to feel more like a community. And so at yeah. that point I may want, you know, uh, more handholdy, you know, someone that knows me and, and, um, uh, and seems friendly. And it's not just like I'm in a hotel for a year at a time. So I think it'll go what, back. And yeah. Forth. What I would want, like just given the hotel example, what I want is to be able to check into a hotel on my phone and open my hotel door with my phone and it recognizes me and I don't have to stand at the desk and wait for somebody and I don't have to um, get checked in and I don't like my card's not going to stop working and um, and I don't have to go through a process of checking out. I just want everything on my phone so that I can check in and check out. But then if you also have a concierge at the hotel who says, yeah. good morning, Miss Cyphers, do you need somewhere to find a place to have breakfast? Even better. Yeah. yeah. I think, like, oh, go ahead, David. Uh, well, the, Nicole and I were just, uh, I was taking my scuba certification a week ago, and we oh, went nice. and stayed at a, a nice hotel uh, in Utah. And I called for room service because we got in late, and it was like, all right, the, you know, this is like the second time in my life I've gotten room service because usually I go uh-huh. and explore the area. And they were like, cool, what room are you? And I was like, I cannot believe that you You're don't like, even really? know what room I am. Yeah, That's I was really blown funny. away. So to your point, that's exactly what I want. I want to get in uh, easily on my phone, but then like 
have the deets about me whenever I, I yeah. call you and want something else. But sorry, go ahead, Reed. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say like that example with the hotel, you know, what would keep hotels from, from making that change? Because that seems so practical to me. Like who wouldn't want that, you know? Right. Uh, and I guess it's, you know, leaving the optionality, which then theoretically I, I would assume allows you to, to reduce staff by a little bit, maybe not completely. But I think there's also the the upsell that, you know, is counted on with with the the human interception, if you will, or element, where it's like, mm. you know, this is our chance to, you know, build a relationship, get them in our points program, you know, potentially add, you know, some services, some spot, whatever it is, you know, I'm trying to stick with the hotel, but, you know, can that, you know, so you may win it on the short term with like efficiencies with labor, but then do you compromise, you know, potentially the top line and, and more revenue avenues by, by not having the human, you know, intercept uh, the consumer. And I don't know the answer to that. I mean, obviously more and more people are getting super comfortable and, you know, let's, set Amazon on the side, but as far as like transacting, you know, um, mm -hmm. along the way, and that's something, you know, and you remember this, uh, Jen, that we talked about with Fiona, but will there be a day where people are comfortable transacting like with digital services? Cause right now, it, you know, there's, we're starting to see a little bit of it, which is exciting, meaning that you would actually purchase an AdWords campaign, know what your budget is, you know, uh, get creative sorted out and never actually talk to somebody and it's actually, you know, kind of commoditized. So, um, but I think it's, you know, we won't see that like really take off for, for a few more years, but I think that's one of the questions you have to ask yourself. A lot of this stuff is still like proving itself out, you know, like there's going to be, I feel like landmark case studies and we'll see that probably in the next couple of years with self-guided tours where it's like, now there's no question. This isn't just, you know, a matter of FOMO and competition. It's like the results speak for themselves. There's enough, you know, within the industry that have adopted this. And it's clear that, you know, you're going to see a 20% lift on your tour to, you know, um, lease like ratios or whatever that may be. But in the mm -hmm. short term, you know, you, you have to, I don't want to say gamble, but some are going to be willing to explore some art. Um, I mean, that that's Captain Obvious there speaking, but you, you know what I'm, uh, you know what I'm saying, where it's like, you know, a lot of this technology, um, there, there's going to be some big proof points coming uh, in the next few years that I think will really uh, start to speed things up. Yeah, I mean, change is hard. I think change is hard for people and change is hard for organizations. And um, it takes a lot of, it, it takes the right person to not kind of back away from opportunities that that change that require change. So I hope, you know, that's one of the things that looking back on there, there were so many challenges and 2020 was so difficult for so many reasons. But one of the silver linings is that we were all forced to change like ready or not. Organizations, individuals had to embrace change and look for opportunities. And, um, and I think that there will be some really positive things that come out of that. Totally. Well, I have two last things, and then we'll let you ask or talk about anything you want to talk about, Jennifer, so I'll let you prime yourself. Uh, but first thing is you had mentioned early on about deciding to make the non, let's not, that you didn't want to go venture and you wanted to remain private. Um, yeah. What's, do, it, does that, has that outlook changed at all? Is Pinwheel, I mean, is 
this what Jennifer's happy doing for the next 10, 20 years? Or at some point you guys expect that you will get acquired? Because, I mean, we've had a number of folks take swings at us. So I can only imagine with how self-guided tours are taking off that you guys must have the same thing. But yeah. are you guys holding fast? Do you have a clear vision? Um, we, I do get a lot of, a lot of, uh, people reaching out to me asking about investing in pinwheel or about acquiring pinwheel. And we, I really did consider it in 2020 because we had such a, um, it was such an interesting time, meaning a lot of businesses were really struggling and, uh, we, we came out of 2020 really strong, but what happened when I decided not to take money in 2016 was magical. And that is that probably you guys went through the same thing. And that is that. I stopped worrying about what investors might think about Pinwheel and just started focusing on how do I make the strongest company and the strongest products. And, um, and it really, really helped me to be able to focus and make ultimately better decisions for the company, which investors of course want, but there's this weird dance where they're, they're asked, they always ask for things that make you change focus and, and do things in a way that you wouldn't necessarily do it. So my goal is always to make, the company, the strongest company that it is. And my first goal is always to make the product the best. That's always my my focus is if we have the best products, then the other things will will fall into place. And so if that someday leads to, you know, some some company coming and acquiring Pinwell and it's a really great fit, then then great. But I'm certainly not looking for it or banking on it. I'm just trying to day by day, year by year, um, make the best decisions to make the company the strongest. And if I end up owning it and running it forever, that's great. And if it ends up um, looking like the best opportunity is for it to be a part of some other portfolio, that's great too. It's it's not really driving my my thoughts or my decisions. Yeah, well, that's a great answer. I'll read you, or muted there. Now we're waiting. Sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, is there somebody you wouldn't sell to? Uh, <laughs> you don't have to answer. No, I had to think about it. Um, probably. Well, well, this comes up, at least I've heard it more and more whenever we get in these conversations with, with other founders or owners uh, of, of companies is, you know, there is a list or there's a few um, that they would just stay away from at all costs as far as ever, you know, um, being acquired. And so I just I didn't know that there's any that I would stay away from at all costs, but I would really consider, I mean, I do have to say, I, I really, really love my team. I, we, we have done such a great job of creating such a phenomenal team and I'm really loyal to them and they're really loyal to me. And so I would definitely consider what the culture is like at the, at, if there was a company that wanted to acquire pinwheel, the company culture for my people is huge because our culture is, very unique and it would, I don't want to make an abrupt change for anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hear you. I bet that's what most of like the big companies, I mean, you'd expect them to hear that, right? Like their customers, right. it's like, we hear that from everybody, but if we write you a check for this, like, I think you can get over culture. It's like, how much do you, <laughs> do you hold that line? You know, cause me and David feel the same way. It's like, we're so attached to our people and, you know, our vision and, and the idea of selling is getting harder and harder. Um, yeah. But if the, they came and, and, you know, the check was big enough, could we get over it? And I don't know. I, I guess you just have to cross that bridge when it comes. I guess they do say everybody has a number. Right. Yeah. I just can't imagine having a conversation with my employees and saying, now you have to go sit in a dark cubicle 
right. eight hours a day. Sorry. Well, this, this does lead to my last question and then anything you want to talk about, Jennifer, but Reed played a, a very mean April Fool's joke on the company and we <laughs> had an all hands meeting and he uh, pretended that the company was selling. And, oh my uh, gosh, Reed. Yeah, it, it actually kind of made me sick to my stomach as I was hearing it, and I knew that wasn't true. <laughs> but I was like, all right, that's enough. I never want to go through that for real. Uh, he gave him oh, some other good news. That's good. It was, like a, it was like a trial. That's well, what I said. I didn't even say, tell Reed that yet, but Reed, I told Nicole, I was like, this was a trial run and realized that's not how we how it would need to go down if we were going to do that. Good, good. It's a good lesson. Yeah, yeah. well <laughs> – I like woke up that morning um, because we we're actually announcing that we were going to be moving to a four day work week. So it was like this great announcement. We're going to oh, be doing nice. that in 2022, yeah. not a compressed, like the, the legit four day work week. And so uh, I, I realized it was April 1st and I came downstairs and I was just playing around with my daughters. And I was like, did you guys see the zebra running down the street? It's headed straight for the day, uh, the Schmitz home. So I, my dad used to do that all the time. And it was amazing. It was embarrassing, frankly. I mean, all the way through high school, I was falling. <laughs> it was like really bad, you know, jokes, April Fool's jokes. Oh, yes. Wolverines um, in the backyard. It's what we, we got. Right. And right. There you I was like more than once. <laughs> totally. Totally. My dog is howling in the back. I apologize. Um, so anyways, the girls like fell for it, hook, line and sinker. And I was like, you know what, this afternoon, we're going to have an all hands meeting. <laughs> and instead of telling about the four day work week, I'm going to tell them we got sold. And I didn't tell David or Nicole. So uh, they, they indulged me or at least, you know, were kind enough to let me go through with it. And yeah, people were freaking out. Like it was like the chat was like, oh my God, what the hell, you know, all this stuff. And then let them know, actually, we had some really good news. So it turned out well for them. Oh my gosh, that's good that you got to flip it on them. I'm so curious to hear how that four week, uh, four day work week goes for you because we introduced last year, half day Fridays. And of course, in 2020, there was nobody like had anywhere to go, but nobody takes half day Fridays. Like people just continue to work, even though we're supposed to, (laughs) we're supposed to stop working at noon on Fridays. Nobody does. That was actually our concern. So we have some, as most people expect from us, we have some stuff around that. So we actually have staged yeah. into it where currently we give them two hours a week, however they want. We ask them what their personal goals, what would help them feel more fulfilled. And then we record that each week and we share that each Monday in the all hands meeting. So basically what we're trying to do is like, we don't want to give you a day off to just watch Netflix. It's like, we're giving you another day off to, to grow yourself. Yeah. So it's helped like people re-engage with like, uh, big brother, big sisters, and and all these other things that they want to do. So oh, we're staging into it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I think one of the other keys is you know for management ownership to do the same, and that that's I'll just openly say can be hard, in particular I think for David and I because you know we're still working and by choice, you know, not because anybody's forcing us, but you know, if we're actually demonstrating, you know, that, you know, that we have projects on the side that we're doing during the work week, that says a lot, you know, instead of, you know, do as I say, but not as I do. And, um, you know, that, that's a process for us, you know, but uh, I think it excites them and it makes them feel more comfortable about it, you know, because there's lots of companies that say, oh, you know, unlimited PTO or, oh, you know, we'll give you a half day, wink, wink, you know, Um, but, uh, yeah, if, if you actually lead by example, I think it'll make a big difference. So, well, that, that is my goal right now because we have unlimited PTO and it goes unused and obviously 2020 was, I mean, we were also closed, um, 
we, we close a lot for like holidays and we're closed the week between Christmas and New Year's. We have people who are available to obviously respond to client requests and client client needs. But this year, 2020 to 2021, it was like nobody nobody wanted to not work because there was nothing to do. Like <laughs> you can't travel, nobody could see their friends and family. And so it wasn't actually a great benefit last year, but hopefully as things open up and people can go can go see friends and family and can go golfing and can do like you were saying brothers and sisters and can get out and engage in the community more it will be more of a of a benefit but my goal is to kind of set up our structure so that um, people are actually taking advantage of those days and they feel like they can leave the office and things won't fall apart totally well jennifer is uh, as we wrap up here is there anything else that i don't know you can flip the tables on us, something we didn't talk about from your side or whatever. Is there anything that we missed that we that we should get into before we get out of here? No, this is great. I actually love that we're ending on culture because that's my um, that's one of the things that I feel really strongly in is that we as a society are really are really busy. Everybody's really busy and it's so easy to be busy and uh, not take advantage of opportunities that we have in life and do things, do things that are important to us and fulfilling to us. And so I love to hear that you guys are, um, that you're framing your organization around that idea too. Yeah. Well, no one's going to want to buy us when they know that we only work two days a week. <laughs> yeah. We're going to stop it for, or try to. Right. Well, I, I mean, sat in that meeting and heard you and heard you saying that they were selling and then suddenly he's like, you guys, we're actually only going to work. Everybody work 12 hours a week. That's what we're doing. That yeah. way you, like, for <laughs> sure, you're never going to sell and you never have to live through that again. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That, that would do it. Well, I, I mean, for me, like, and that's not the reason we did this, but God, you know, life has been, oh, I hate saying it, but so depressing, you know, the last so year. Yeah. I mean, and it isn't just COVID. I mean, it just feels like the world's on fire. And so one of our five core values is happiness. And we put it right in the middle. It's like above all else, we want our employees, we want ourselves to be happy, you know? And yeah, um, that's this been is a challenge one, in the last year. Totally. This is just one more means to do it. But it's like, if we can provide, you know, a, a little sanctuary, if you will, of happiness, like small company, but where people really feel good about themselves, feel respected, collaborative and have a balance. Like that's a win by itself, you know, a big one. So hopefully yeah. it works out that way and we keep it up. Yeah, I agree. Hey, well, I Jen do want to hear about that mom test book, by the way. Oh yeah. Well, uh, for anyone that's interested, it's called the mom test. It's pretty short. I did the audible version. It's like four hours and it's basically how to avoid the pitfalls of like building uh, of asking customers for, for feedback. So the quick down and dirty is like, if Jennifer, you went to your mom and said, Hey mom, uh, you like to cook, right? Yes. You use recipes. Yes. Great. I'm going to build a recipe app. You know, what do you think the, your mom is like, did, she doesn't want to hurt your feelings. And she's like, of course. Yeah. Uh, recipe app would be awesome. But when you really dig in and ask the right questions, you find out when was the last time your mom bought a recipe book. It's like, uh, 10 years ago or so, because usually they're gifted to her right by somebody at Christmas. So she doesn't actually go out and spend money. She's just given it. So then all of a sudden you realize like, well, maybe building or building a recipe app that I'm going to charge monthly. Maybe my mom wouldn't buy that. So uh, it's got some very practical advice about how to do client interviews without seeding the question and how to ignore, you know, positive affirmation when it's like, like if you, if Jennifer goes and has a call with a customer and then she comes back to the office and people say, Hey, Jennifer, how'd it go? And you say, great. 
that's a bad answer. That means the interview went wrong. It means like, instead you should be like, well, I learned this, this, and that. Right. right. And he's saying you don't build everything that clients ask for. You kind of just like listen to them uh, and don't ask leading questions. And then when you come back, you build what you think is the right solution because you can't build everything or, right. you know, nobody will be happy with the outcome. Interesting. So, it's a good book. Right, yeah. Worth your four hours. Uh, well, thanks. Thanks for your time today, Jennifer. I think it's super cool what Penwheel's doing. If people have any any interest in learning more, they'll just go to uh, penwheel.com, I think, right? P-Y-N? Yep. Pinwell.com. Pinwell with a Y. P-Y-N-W-H-E-E-L.com. And there's lots of different ways to contact us. Um, everybody, every inquiry that we get, gets a response within one business day, regardless. That's company policy. So we will get back to you. Great. Well, thanks, Jennifer. And we'll uh, catch you later. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thank you.